I did not enter ministry with the intention of disappointing people. That was not in my vision of the call. Yet, it is an all-too-frequent occurrence in the life of a minister and in the shared ministry of a congregation that I am the bringer of disappointment. It makes sense when you think about it, right? May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations. And now having brought them to mind, let's explore, practically speaking, why they are not possible. Let me break the news that we, this congregation at the present time, will not be able to realize our highest aspirations in their fullest form. Let me invite you to take a look at what it will take to achieve even a small part of what we envision in our highest aspirations. Let us consider together the number of differing aspirations vying for limited resources and set some priorities. And let me be the one to regretfully assure you that all that we do and all that we will do and all that we hope to do and even all that we feel that we should do will never be enough. That is decidedly not the message I was hoping to carry when I entered the ministry. But I have a responsibility to engage with what is real if I am to join with you in discovering what is possible. Upon first reading Wendy's reflection, after, honestly, I got over my initial defensiveness about all that we are not doing and could appreciate the sacred challenge I began to imagine the people filling our sanctuary each night and sleeping in the pews and what that would mean as far as custodial duties and the additional administrative responsibilities and the increase in staff hours and staff positions and volunteer participation and coordination and the supplies we would need, imagining the cushions we could purchase for the pews and the plumbing upgrades, especially in light of our ongoing plumbing problems, and the community education, outreach, and collaboration that would be called for and what hours we would keep for our guests and the impact on other congregational activities and current rental agreements and rental income into the future and policies we would need to fashion and permits and permissions we would need to obtain and imagine pitfalls and problems seen and unforeseen. And none of that stuff is why I entered the ministry. And all of that must be considered if we are to be effective and responsible and sustainable in our shared ministry. And none of that should keep us from always listening for the sacred challenge to draw our circle of sanctuary wider. The image of people, cold, hungry, wet, sick, scared, looking in our windows, seeing this vast unused space and thinking in one form or another, sanctuary, Really? That is no fantasy. I have no doubt that happens. 
So with all of our necessary practical considerations, how does it feel to live with that reality? Uncomfortable. I made the decision to discontinue hosting Homeless Overflow in 2017, which we were told at the time would be the last year of the program. Partially in consideration of the extra work for staff and lay leaders and volunteers resulting from my three-month sabbatical around that same time, and not wanting to combine that with the sizable challenge of homeless overflow organization and execution, I felt like it was the best choice I could make given the circumstances. Do I know that it was the best choice? No. Do I recognize the immense privilege of having a sabbatical juxtaposed against the painful circumstances of the people who were our guests in the overflow program? Yes. And I must remain conscious of that reality and those choices, even when they feel uncomfortable. I, too, am no big fan of padlocks and gates. And I am no fan of hypodermic needles in the bushes near the entrance to the sanctuary, or human feces on the bench by the labyrinth or around the sheds or over the fence in our neighbor's yard, or having staff members or congregants feel threatened going to their cars at night, or telling two staff members that besides their other duties, they are responsible on behalf of the whole congregation for outside cleanup every day, or telling our neighbors with homes that they need to be responsible for any disturbance caused by the people who are staying on our property because, for the most part, no one from the church is around when things happen, but we want to continue to feel good about ourselves. And I do not share these things because I wish to blame the people who were or are staying on our property, many of whom are extremely responsible and appreciative. I share these things not to focus on individuals at all, but to say that because people are forced into living conditions on the street that are unjust and unsafe and unacceptable, such things happen. And let's face it, the people in power who made the decisions that helped to create these unjust and unsafe and unacceptable conditions are mostly insulated from any of the ramifications. I never wanted to understand people who installed gates and padlocks. I wanted to remain self-righteously critical. I never wanted to understand that, but I do now. As hard as that is to say, I do. And I know the story can't end there. Given the reality of the situation, I come here to be reminded again of my highest aspirations. I know that when we ask people to move on from here, we are only sending them on to another place that they are not supposed to be. For all of the practical considerations, we are still here reminded of our highest aspirations and called to expand the offer of sanctuary and inspired to do more, knowing all the time that more Two will not be enough, and vowing to live in that 
tension, not to escape it, not to deny it, not to excuse it, but to live into it. That takes practice. Because I still can see and hear, and I have talked to the people looking in our windows at night saying, Sanctuary for whom? without romanticizing or demonizing or indeed generalizing at all about these people, how can we hear and respond to that question? What will we do? That is not to discount or dismiss the sanctuary that we do offer, but it does remind us that the sanctuary we offer is certainly not complete. It is sanctuary in part. It is sanctuary in part. I entered ministry to sing, we'll build a land where we bind up the broken. We'll build a land where the captives go free, where the oil of gladness dissolves all mourning. Oh, we'll build a promised land that can be. I did not enter ministry to sing, we are a sanctuary kind of. For some people at certain times, when we are able to open our doors and welcome you for this worship time. Not quite the same, is it? But it is real. And it's not nothing. The sanctuary that we presently offer is no less important or valuable in and of itself for being incomplete. It changes lives. It offers comfort. It offers safety and acceptance. We must appreciate and celebrate what we have been able to do and know that we are called to do more. And when we sing, we'll build a land, we forthrightly volunteer to take note of the distance between what we presently do and what we want to do. We volunteer for the challenge to expand our notion of what is possible, knowing that all of our efforts, however valuable, will be incomplete. We remind ourselves of our highest aspirations because we forthrightly choose to live in that tension. We explicitly invite the questions that will guide us in living out those aspirations. What should we do? What do our highest aspirations point to? What could we do if we had the necessary resources? What can we do either to gain those resources or to act with our current resources? And what will we do? What will we choose to do knowing that every choice means giving up something else? What will we choose to do? I know that individuals in this congregation engage in all sorts of powerful, healing, helping, transformative activities in this community. The question I keep asking for us together, because I have not ever been able to fully answer it, and also because I think the answer changes, is how can a congregation be uniquely effective? How can this congregation be uniquely effective in addressing those ongoing problems that Wendy described in her reflections? Whatever we choose to do, how can we bring our best stuff? 
Rather than earnestly pretending that we are a social service agency or a social justice organization, how do we be what we are and collaborate with such groups and others to strengthen the work all the way around? How do we choose and how do we then live with our choices? We live in a society that tells me that nothing is ever enough and that enough is the goal. Mostly in terms of my function as a consumer. But I've seen the same messages spill over into our work for a better world. If doing enough is the goal, I will never get there. I will burn myself out. I will either stay engaged and working tirelessly, become bitter and hypercritical of others who are not doing enough in my estimation, or find a way to exit the whole endeavor decisively letting go of my highest aspirations. Quite frankly, part of my ministry is to sometimes encourage people to choose not to do things even worthy things. Brene Brown says, many of us wake up in the morning saying, I didn't get enough sleep. And we lay down to sleep at night saying, I didn't get enough done. Congregations sometimes promote this syndrome. And let me tell you, when people need to leave the congregation to find restoration, we're doing something wrong. This should be where people come to find restoration, refuge, sanctuary. And that comfort we offer is paired with a particular discomfort that we invite. It is not a comfortable place to be to see all that needs to be done, to realize that everything I will do is partial that enough is not a helpful goal, and to acknowledge that I sometimes choose not to do things that are very worthy and that need to be done. And I invite all who gather in this sanctuary to practice living in that tension precisely because it is uncomfortable. It takes practice. Precisely because it inspires a fight-or-flight response. Because knowing that we can do more and knowing that it will not ever be complete or finished or enough can make us cynical or apathetic or judgmental or bitter or cause us to explain the problems away by blaming the very people who are suffering so we can justify our choices and walk away with a clear conscience. But we have chosen to engage with what is real. We remind ourselves of our highest aspirations. We acknowledge that we fall short, that we will be disappointed, and that we will disappoint others, and we begin again in love. We practice living in that tension between what is, what is possible, and what we hope for. We vow to engage the messiness of interdependence, realizing that all our choices are imperfect, all our victories partial, and all our understanding limited. But we know that we are not isolated beings, 
but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. And that is why I entered the ministry. <laughs>